Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. I I uh, I don't know what what's going on anymore. But basically, if you press play on this podcast, you miss forty minutes of talking about edits of movies, and not just edit. Well, primarily, I think it was different formats of engaging movies. So, sparked from Dan was on a couple flights watching some movies, debating: Do I watch everything everywhere for the first time on a flight with turbulence? <laughs> distractions, babies crying, <laughs> or 40 minutes of that, kind of getting into the dynamics of engaging stuff as directors prefer, maybe as you prefer in terms of like how you fit things into your schedule or your own comfort zone. Um, and then a brief aside about editing and how some certain cuts and editings, editing stuff is like an, a different way of engaging movies as well. Um, it's a pretty good discussion, I think so. So you can go and support on Patreon for $3 a month and get access to that. It's on the uncut episode section of the Oculus episode, the one you're tuning into right now. 40 minutes. Uh, you also get access to voting on movies we discuss at the end of each month. Just like Oculus, actually, that was picked by our supporters. We had a Mike Flanagan vote. Um, you get to help us reach certain goals. We are trying to reach a goal that would let us watch the God's Not Dead movies. Pretty much every single one's listed there, as well as the Inhumans TV show, which I don't know. I feel like that's going to be mean to make Dan watch that again, but I guess we'll get through it and then we'll talk about it on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, every time I have mentioned this, you have sighed. Every time. <laughs> right. I should start turning you up. Uh, during editing every time the sign happens it gets louder and louder or i just collect every single one that's happened and i play it over and over so it's like a thousand <laughs> dance longer every time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so bad it'd be terrible but yeah for three dollars a month that's like nothing and you get access to all that extra stuff the, all the uncut episodes from before so you're really getting like a ton of extra podcasting content that if you enjoy us or you want to support us you get to tune into all that and it's pretty good stuff we do a lot of really good discussions and uh guests whenever they come on they get to do a patreon thing as well so you get extra content with them i think that's kind of it though we should really get into our episode we're doing oculus by mike flanagan i think uh i think you should definitely apart from the fact that i think you're better at introducing movies than i am you have watched way more mike flanagan stuff so i feel like I you have, talking yeah. about this movie gets to give a bit more i'm not like i didn't like write my dissertation on mike flanagan or yeah. anything like that i just and it wasn't on purpose either i just happened to see movies in a later By accident like, oh. you're like oh i know him yeah oh, mike flanagan. <laughs> did you let me ask this then could you tell as you were watching them like i think this is mike flanagan like do you does he have any style that's that's mm, perceivable um, i think around the time he started doing the netflix like mini series was when i started seeing more of like his quote-unquote style come into play which then i kind of felt that watching dr sleep because i which he made following like uh, hill house and Ply manor and all that stuff mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um but the first of his films i watched was hush which i enjoyed that Me movie too. and i like that movie and i also were, think it's pretty okay yeah, I think it's I, okay. I, I feel like I'm more into his, like, I guess you could say style than some other people are. And this was during a period where I was watching just more horror films in general. Like, I watched this around the same time I saw, I think, You're Next as well, which he didn't do. But, I, like, so I was watching more, like, kind of, like, there was, like, a resurgence of slasher films that are, quote, unquote, being done, like, more smart. 
uh, whatever that means. I know, right? So like, yeah. but so like, I don't see a lot of like, like his style overlap between this and Oculus other than like, again, um, what's her name? Katie, uh, what's her name? Siegel. It's just in, in, the, in all of his movies, Kate Siegel is just in all of his movies for some reason. Uh, and so she's, she's a main character in Hush and she shows up in this. Are they dating? I don't Cause think I know so. in, um, I know David Sandberg, uh, his, uh, girlfriend is in like, or wife. I don't know if they're, married. Oh no, that, yeah, that is, she's married to Mike Flanagan. Okay. That explains, that explains why she, she's in everything he does. She's in Ouija or she's in Gerald's game. I did though. I did see that Annalise Basso is also in Ouija, the Ouija movie he did. Which I've also heard good things about. I really want to watch it because it's a Ouija <laughs> movie directed by Mike Flanagan, and it's supposed to be pretty good. It's a prequel to the bad Ouija movie, but everyone's like, "Oh, it's pretty good." <laughs> so, yeah, and I think it gets points just because it's unexpected for it to be good. Where right. you're just like, "Oh, yes. uh, stupid!" Like prequel to like a bad movie, and being an early movie, it's actually after Oculus and after Hush. Like I think he did Hush first, and then uh, Oculus next, uh, and then Ouija. Th- the the prequel movie is 2016 so you yeah. did that a little later yeah i think i think i think the main thing um i think the main thing i like about flanagan is just a general taste thing like i like the atmosphere and vibes of horror films i think more than actual like incident like i enjoy just the sense that something is wrong the sense that something is off and mm-hmm. he does that quite well um and what i like about hush for example is there's just the sense that you as an audience are more in on what's going on than the protagonist is. And that's just very uncomfortable. Uh, and Oculus does that relatively well. So. And if I may, just because we're talking about Flanagan and Hush, you're also more knowledgeable of the villain in that movie who doesn't realize the protagonist is deaf for like 30 minutes. And yeah. like, there's some interesting antics about that as the film continues. That's, yeah. You discover along, like you get to see his discovery, like, of right. that. So it makes the movie quite interesting. Yeah. I, I, Hush is great. I like that movie a lot. I, I know not everyone likes it. Yeah. It's a snooze fest for my wife. She, she routinely brings it up as a bad horror movie. It's impressive. I mean, I don't think that's bad, but you, you and your wife both like just don't care if you go with like the consensus (laughs) on, on things, which is admirable. Well, I think Hush is okay. I don't think it's great. Um, but yeah, well, that's because I think we just watch so many movies that we like, we know what we like and we're very confident about what we know we're like doesn't fit that not that a movie needs to fit what we like it's just more like (laughs) we just recognize like what we enjoy and what we don't and we're very confident saying like like, god didn't like like it yeah yeah and we can we can definitely explain it i mean for her she's like nothing happens which is true like hush (laughs) is actually pretty boring um but i kind of liked the boring vibe of it um which we'll probably get into with oculus not that it's the same but well it's because only one or two things can happen and yeah, yes, so like yeah, it's 90 it's, minutes of it, not it, a lot <laughs> it's and so yeah. like i totally like the like the unusual cat and mouse game aspect of it where it's just like yeah. is she going to survive or will she not because right flanagan is not a filmmaker who's like afraid of going with the bad ending like so i th- which g- gives his movies i think a little oomph in some regard or vi- bad visuals i would not bad <laughs> visuals in like aesthetically but yeah unpleasing, but more like he to look at we'll yeah. get into this with oculus it's one of my notes actually but like he will put in unpleasantness without being offensive because i don't think he has any nudity in any of his movies so he's not even going into like the it, midnight nothing he does feels excessive like i've never yes, felt that but, about it 
but he um but he's very comfortable putting up things that are just objectively terrible if they happen in real <laughs> life and i think that's good i think that's a good trait to have if you're trying to do horror movies so yeah i, I do cool. think based on watching um both watching midnight mass and then doctor sleep i do think he's kind of getting not tired of horror but i think he's is trying to stretch his wings as yeah like but he's got two projects that are horror like next did you i don't know if you knew that but he's got the midnight club uh yeah, yeah and yeah. I, either it's two episodes total or he's only directed two episodes out of it and then he's doing the fall of the house of usher which i think is another which i'm very excited about that horror thing i just don't yeah. know anything about either of well these. that's an Edgar Allan poe is it really? Story. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, yeah really the reason I haven't watched his later stuff is I want to watch it all in order from when he started to now, um, because I feel like he has a lot of, which by the way, uh, house of Usher has Willa Fitzgerald, which I really enjoyed in a, she was great in scream and Mark Hamill. What the heck? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, he's who else is in this? <laughs> he, he's really, he really has flourished in like the mini series format where I think he gets to, he gets to like expound upon his ideas more. Um, his slow building tension, I think, works better in like a like a series setting. Or, but also because he has a finite amount of episodes, he eventually has to do something. And so, I've my wife and I talk about Midnight Mass all the time. We absolutely loved watching that, and of course, like Haunting of Hill House and Blind Manor and all that stuff. Like, really helped him blow up. Yes, yeah, in yeah. popularity. Like, because I remember when those came out, my coworkers were just asking me about it and talking about it because it was supposed to be the super spooky. Uh, show which it is i find i find those to be much more like tense and, and nerve-wracking than uh, most other horror things i've seen uh, because he gets to draw out and play with the ideas and then at the end like the things that tend to be horrifying of the stories are less ghouls and goblins jumping out of the screen and more just the way it affects often families like when you think about it like as a lot of his stories are about families and the difficulties of family and the messed up ways in which they affect us with hush being kind of the outlier in that way Mm-hmm. Uh, but even something like Gerald's Game, which, you know, is based on a Stephen King story, obviously, but like that is kind of about a horrible relationship in a very, very morbid kind of way. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted. I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want it's me to, to expand cinematic doctrine? You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, cinematic doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as three dollars a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention you get to tell us what to do? That's right. Each month, you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run. So, I'll see you guys later.
Yeah, and that that's definitely on display in Oculus, which Oculus is 2013, released 2014. Uh, psychological horror film written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who we've been talking about for, I think, like 20 minutes now um, with co- <laughs> screenwriting from Jeff Howard. It is based on Oculus Chapter 3, The Man with the Plan by Mike Flanagan. <laughs> which I would have watched if I knew it was the only <laughs> chapter. I was very frustrated. I even was on his YouTube channel. I was literally like, oh, I have two hours to kill. I can totally check it out. And I'm like, wait, where's Chapter 1 and 2? I guess I guess I don't have time because I'm not wasting my time searching. <laughs> and, and then I didn't watch it. I, that would have been really great. And I, oh, well. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not proud to admit this, but this movie kind of came into prominence among certain people because in addition to being co-produced by Blumhouse, it was one of the first big movies that was co-produced by WWE Studios. Now, have they done anything else? Um, nothing you would have seen, probably. So for those who are not aware, the WWE has always had not always, but since around. So outside of the movie, No Holds Barred, which is just awful. So some people love it because of that. Um, starting around the time of The Rock's decided to move away from wrestling and into acting. The WWE kind of got into co-producing. Um, Vince McMahon also has a, has a weird like, producer credit on one of the, the mummy movie where the rock makes a weird cameo as a Scorpion King. Um, <laughs> and so they are one of the main producers behind them, the Scorpion King movie. Uh, but at a certain point, the rock decided this group probably better off without just making movies that were kind of co-produced by the WWE. So they started making their own in-house films that made see no evil starring Kane uh, which is just terrible. They made the Marine with John Cena, which is so bad. It's amazing. They made the condemned starring stone cold, which is just, just terrible too. Uh, and eventually, so they stopped, they switched from trying to make theatrical films to making direct to video. Like they made it behind the enemy line sequel starring Ken Kennedy. They made a bunch of 12 rounds movies. They made sequels to the Marine. Uh, and when they, I think they realized at a certain point that they probably would be better if instead of throwing their money into direct to video movies, starring the big show and triple H that no one was watching if they just got into like the producing slash distribution role. So yeah, so around 2012, they started just like finding other movies. And so they would produce them. And the the caveat was like, throw a wrestler into a, into a supporting role. So they made Dead Man Down, which had Wade Barrett in a role. They made that Halle, they produced the Halle Berry movie, The Call, which has a small role for David Otunga and so on and so forth. They made, um, what was it? They made a weird movie with Aaron Eckhart that's like, a horror film where Mark Henry shows up as a bouncer in a club, that sort of thing. And so Oculus was one of the first ones they picked up. It gained buzz because, hey, WWE fans, this one's actually pretty good. Like this was the first one of these that like was it just terrible? Like there were only the reason that only the WWE even jump on the project is because everyone's passed on it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a that's a way more backstory in a movie than I think we've ever given on this show. Uh, but it was made out of a small budget of $5 million. So it was a huge success as most the Blumhouse model has proved to be one of the only sustainable small budget movie models in this day and age. Uh, but anyway, uh, this movie stars Karen Gillan and <laughs> uh, who some of you will know is Amy Pond from Doctor Who and recently was Nebula in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and Brendan, the last name I can't pronounce, who you know, Thwaites. who's Thwaites. I'm going to guess Thwaites. Which Brenton, uh, who is currently Dick Grayson Robin in the Titans TV show. So this is a big That's nerd why I recognize him. Uh, Katie Sackoff shows up as their mom, who is Bo, uh, Bo-Katan in the Star Wars universe. She just showed up in The Mandalorian. She's very good. She's, <laughs> She's great really in this. good at this. Um, so, which is, is wild. Cause so, she voices Bo-Katan in like Rebels and Clone Wars, but they modeled the character after her. So, she just got to play the character live action in The Mandalorian, which is really neat. Um, so, it's a big nerd fest for all you nerds out there. Uh, so, Karen Gillan and Brenton play brother and sister, who... 
uh, after a traumatic event where the brother had to shoot their father after a horrible rampage. Um, he finally gets released from a mental institution about 20 years later. And unfortunately, in that time period, Karen Gillan's character has found the mirror. And so the mirror in this case, in the grand tradition of spooky house movies, but specifically, it's because there's a particular object that is cursed or haunted or what have you. Um, she believes that the mirror is what caused all their problems and slowly caused their family to fall apart in Amityville horror style. Uh, and so she decides that she's going to both prove that her father and her family in general is innocent and prove that there's something up with the mirror while her brother just wants to kind of move on and go on with his life. And that's the first half of the movie. Um, there's two things that I think are quite interesting about it. The first is it does basically a dual narrative where you see the unfolding of what happened to children alongside the current events, which I actually found to be a pretty interesting way because you could say that it mirrors <laughs> what's going on. Right. Right. Oh man. Anyway, Let's so so that, so that happens. <laughs> no, but um, that that is kind of the point. <laughs> that is the point. So that is, that is exactly I, I think happening. I'm the only one to notice this personally. Um, Probably, <laughs> but yeah. uh, and I found the first half of the movie really interesting, where she does the thing I love in horror films, where she goes to the backstory of the cursed thing in question. So she shows photographs. She shows all this research about. I'm surprised you're saying the start of the movie because that's like. 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. I actually think the start of the movie is way too long and needed to be cut down. <laughs> I actually thought of two in some, scenes yes. in my mind, both with Karen Gillian, that I'm like, that could have been cut. Like, And it's like 15 whole minutes. It could have been cut. I think this could have been cut, but I'm sure you wanted to finish <laughs> introducing the movie before we talk about it. Um, yeah, so she she is convinced. And I will say this: the characters here are interesting where um, there's a penultimate moment not penultimate, but there's it, the, the the dead center of the film. I actually paused to look at the time. There's a moment where um, both characters kind of understand what's going on and she's elated. Like she could not be happier and he's horrified. It's good stuff. Um, and it's a great moment and it really defines their characters. And so the rest of the film is them trying to figure out what to do, how to handle the situation. And then things get all topsy turvy and spooky and weird. And that's kind of, there's not much in terms of plot. And so, um, as I mentioned, like this is one of those movies that like some people love it because they love the atmosphere, they love the slow buildup. They like the fact that the things are horrifying about it are more again like watching a family just completely fall apart and like the horrible trauma experiences of the children. And in that regard, it is a great uh, just a visual example of how people can get trapped in that where they are effectively forever reliving what happened to them. They can never move past it. And no matter what they do, they're just trapped in the cycle. Um, that said, not a mu- not much horror movie things happen for the first like fifty ish minutes, and then and what does is really lame and could have just been cut to get to the movie. It, it really is just so long. It's it's not a particularly scary film. It's there's not a lot of spooks. There's not a lot of things jumping out at you. Uh, but there's also just not a lot of like horrifying events. There's a handful of moments that can get some reaction out of you. I think. Uh, maybe there's like there's a particular scene involving a light bulb that I think might have gotten a really good reaction in the theater, uh, but outside of that, yeah, not much happens. <sighs> so, so lame though. That's like the one scene I remembered. Yeah, it's like uh, it's boring. And so, like <laughs> if 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 you're if you're someone who wants things to happen in your movie, uh, this might not be the movie for you. It uh, it has a quite a good reputation, and I think it's good if especially if you're someone who's just in the Mike Flanagan thing and you just want to house and you haven't watched it yeah yet. and you haven't watched it i think it's worth a watch in that regard i think you definitely do quite a bit worse but it's, for me i found it to be very kind of middle of the road um there's 
a lot of stuff I like about I like the mirror itself as an object yes. that they have to solve. That I is like, cool. I like some of the lore around the mirror, and but like I found the rules to be very confusing. Uh, I was never really sure and clear on what the mirror could and could not do, which I know is pretty standard for this type of movie. Um, and if the, they'd gone on, I'm sure we'd be seeing Oculus Five, where like someone's like hand mirror in their purse has become possessed by spirit of the mirror or something. That's um, cool, though. And then, and you could just keep moving the mirror to different homes, and like the supernatural uh, episode where the ghost is in the reflections, and at some point somebody yeah. looks through a window, and the window's reflective because someone just cleaned it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, like I, I I will say, unfortunately, it, it did remind me a bit of that Amityville horror movie where a lamp is haunted, and that's causing all the horror in the movie. Or deathbed, the bed that eats. But I like stuff like that. I actually, the ra- the the reason I'm I mentioned in the Patreon thing, so I'll mention it now because you didn't already hear it, listener. But I watched all the Ghostbusters movies, and now I'm playing through the game. And one of my favorite parts of the game is finding the haunted objects because I love the concept of a haunted object. The idea of like there's this physical item that just affects things in a way it's not supposed to. Uh, have you played Control? I know I need to play control. <laughs> I'm trying to finish Quantum Break, and it is just a slot. There's specifically a mirror in Control, so I think you'll quite enjoy that. Ah, uh, so. yeah. I mean, I, I love SCP stuff anyway, so like I know I'm going to have a blast with Control, and I love Alan Wake, so I want to get through Awe. But all that, all that to say is like haunted objects get a major plus for me. I love the idea. I think what's nice and interesting about the concept is that it's not like a spirit who can just go wherever it wants or whatever. It's not let's call it i was gonna say it's not insidious rules but even then that's pretty limited uh how insidious kind of functions well it's kind of like the conjuring movie verse rules yeah i thought the same thing in fact i actually said to cat like afterward i think if if james wan directed oculus it would have been a better movie <laughs> um not to like say mike flanagan's bad like this is one of his early movies so i think that's a fair thing to say i totally think it's fair but like there are things about this movie that i think are director decision problems that yes. are seriously frustrating yeah that a more like a james wan in the conjuring stage of his career if you go to his wikipedia his career is put into three different stages um you'll find that i think this movie would fit that aesthetic way better i think one like yeah it's it's focus of what the filmmakers care about flanagan is much more interested in the family dynamics and how an event like this would affect the people yeah yeah totally Juan would have found more interesting things to do with the mirror and like yeah object haunted object movies are fun because like on paper it sounds dumb like and that's kind of part of the plot of the movies it's like when he's like it's the mirror the mirror did it like okay yeah whatever but like the the fact that this object can somehow get people to play by its rules and enter into the realm in which it's powerful like that is interesting Uh, all objects are tools that you control and the idea that that thing can control you is interesting like and and have such influence on you one of the coolest objects i found in the ghostbusters game is a red phone that apparently five exists in the world and they don't work but whenever they do and you finish a call on it it usually the person dies afterward. And I'm like, that's kind of like a cute little thing. Like how cute because someone dies. It's neat. (laughs) It's an interesting thing because it doesn't function in the way that it's intended and it has more power than it's supposed to. You may not know this, but the easiest way you can show your support for Cinematic Doctrine is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So press pause and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And then press play again so you can hear the rest of the show. That's what makes the mirror interesting. Now, as 
for that, I wish the mirror had more presence. I think the mirror has like no presence. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think this movie, actually, the two things that I think are borderline damning to the film is the music is extremely bad. I think it's really bad. I didn't even notice the music. So, I mean, that speaks for it. There's a scene that actually is noticeably ruined because it had no music and then music started and changed how you engage the scene. Um, which we can explain some specifics for that later if I if we were if I remember to, but I'll definitely be able to explain how I felt. Maybe not the scene in particular, but I also found the cinematography really bad too. I only liked one or two sequences where I I liked how the camera moved, but I did not like where the camera was placed. I didn't like the lighting. I didn't like the setting. Um, I just I just did not like a lot of that, and that's why I said like I think they're director problems because the director gets to decide at the end of the day, how something's handled. And he's seeing those dailies. He can look and be like, I don't like this shot. I want to do something different. Um, I I don't know. I, I really felt like audibly within 40 minutes, I just said to Kat, I was like, this movie would be so much better if it just wasn't ugly, like if it wasn't so ugly. And I really found that it was ugly. Now, I don't think the movie's like noticeably art film, uh, student art film ugly but it's just so bland and lifetime it's really like it's 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 soul sucking and i really just was so upset about that and it never gets better it really never gets better i don't know if you were noticing anything like that but i just found like like this was bad and cat i had recently watched um, dead silence um and cat was like does is this is dead silence better than this i was like hey i like dead silence but yes because it has at least it has that twilight filter where everything's like blue, even if you're out in daylight, it looks like you're at night. And like, that's a choice. But there were <laughs> no choices. Positive, huh? <laughs> I do, because like, it's a choice, even if it's not that good. But it's like, it's still like a decision. Whereas like in this, it was almost like there was, they're just, it just seems like young director not knowing the scope of their power and control on set and just sort of letting this get by. And I, I did say like, so we, we haven't gotten into major spoilers because the movie, even though we kind of described the whole plot, like yeah. the well, film's so experience is spoilers. But I like, thought it was, I thought it was okay. The cinematography? I, I, that's I, fair. I mean, the movie itself. I, overall, I found the movie to be pretty okay. Yeah, like, I think the movie's okay. I think the movie's good. You know, it's, I don't think it's bad, but I don't, it, I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone. I think, I think. Wow. It's, interesting. I, I think it's a soft recommendation. I think it's solid. I think it's okay. You know? I think it's good, but I don't think it's great. If, if someone's, if someone asked me like, I need to watch a horror movie, but I don't like gore or gratuitous things. I would recommend this. I, I'd be on a list of movies I'd recommend. As long as they also want to feel upset. Cause I do think the movie's upsetting and that's good. It has some upsetting stuff. It is very upsetting, but like I, you're talking about like how you kind of wish like the mirror more presence. And that's a really interesting point because like, the movie's emphasis is on the way that the their parents just deteriorate both as a couple and as people and they slowly but surely become more monstrous and the mirror is very much kind of a background ancillary thing to that where it would have been cool if the office was bigger so that they could have arguments in the office where the mirror is in the background and maybe when you're looking through the mirror in the background like maybe there's some light distortion or maybe there's something else yeah, like or just was, some interesting been, things to do with that and they just don't yeah like there's no scene where like you see him yelling at the kids or arguing and then you just see his reflection in the mirror behind them or something. there's no what, what's the movie oh man it's a crazy editing uh thing they'd use some cg for it but it's a character walking down a hallway and the camera's in front of him backing up 
And then at some point the camera zooms out and you were looking through the reflection of a mirror in the bathroom. It's like a crazy CG shot. It's like, oh, used yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just can't remember the movie. I've, I've seen this passed around on like Twitter and stuff. So. But there's nothing like that, that cleverly like an argument with the kids. And then we zoom out and the kids are in the reflection and he's looking at them like he's looking through a window, but the kids aren't in the room. I, again, I think it's worth mentioning. This was a very low budget <laughs> film. So I don't know if he was a crunch for time or something. Yeah. But like that would be simple because you just, just do an you keep the camera stationary and in post you do the zoom out because you could have a scene where the kids are in the mirror and then tell the kids to to walk away and then do the scene again <laughs> and like you could just splice like that's uh, that's like super easy stuff like there's just a lot of things that were not done that i feel like are just there like right there and i really think like it's just so noticeable with the movie. But what makes the movie interesting is the stuff in the second and third act, which we can get into in a minute. But but yeah, I, I really found like just it's just a very uninspired movie, despite the fact that like there's some very good stuff in it. And you can tell what's inspired, which is the family dynamics. Like that's definitely the biggest interest. And all the like I with all due respect to to robin um like but like i found definitely karen gillen is really great in this uh katie sackoff is really really good in this yes and i don't really know much about the guy who played the dad rory uh, cochran, rory cochran. Um, yeah i looked he's up really his good. IMDb. i don't there's a lot of subtle things where like there's a scene where like his kids are asking him like questions and he's just like evading their questions entirely but he, like he pulls off like how you could do that and the kids wouldn't like d- question you like it's it's because he, he looks like a dad he looks yeah, so normal just so which like, is great he he demands a respect so yes all the performances are great and like yeah like it's just inherently horrific to watch like children get abused and, yeah. and mistreated and so and, intensely and uh, uh and choking <laughs> and realizing what happens to their mom and their and their dad and like what's going on that like um, that's all very horrific and so yeah i wrote a note that it's an anti-kids on bikes movie yeah. Where like in a kids on bikes movie, all of the stuff is fun adventures equivalent to when you and your friends are out in the woods making up fantasy stories and like whatever, stuff like that. Um, but this isn't Stranger Things. It's not ET'd. And I even wrote it wasn't even like Summer of 84, which the ending is anti kids on bikes, but the film itself is pretty kids on bikes. This one is like the kids are in a horrific paranormal situation and like it's they're just reacting like you would as kids. My wife said like with no agency, they're just powerless because they're children. And so like when they're afraid and scared and in danger, like it's very, um, it's very well executed. And I think that's where you see um, in this film, Mike Flanagan's talent with directing actors. Uh, But I don't know if he had at the time, the prowess for everything else that's needed in, in this project. I can't speak to how he is now. I'm sure he's very good now. And you've sort of spoken to how in other later projects, he's very focused on drama and character and more stuff like that. And so I could see that evolution continuing uh, from this project. But yeah, here it's like that that's more the focus and more where the, the fear is. And yeah, very, very anti-kids on bikes as far as I'm concerned. Enjoying this episode? Grab that share link and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the most effective way for a podcast to reach new listeners. So don't be shy. Share the episode wherever you can. I came away very, like, overall, I had very mixed feelings on the movie as a whole. Like, 
um, it just like moved between being kind of interesting and then being just kind of unpleasant, like because of the subject matter. And then, mm-hmm. but it never fully crossed for me, it never fully crossed line to being like really, really interesting or like unpleasant in like the way you want like a horror film to be kind of, it just kind of the whole, my whole vibe after watching the movie is very kind of like middle of the road. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I, I think I probably watched Mike Flanagan out of order because I really, really like everything else of his that i've seen um and so this definitely feels like not as good as his other other works so um i actually kind of was disappointed i feel bad for being a little disappointed because it's not his fault that i watched his basically watched his filmography backwards so like i get to i get to see almost like a de-evolution of his style and his talents but so i think i maybe was a little had maybe my too high expectations and i really like the actors involved so i was really pumped to see um, them at play especially because i haven't really seen a lot of horror karen gillen stuff so was this your first time watching oculus it was yeah oh i didn't know that yeah i saw this years ago at a friend's house it was like at the time when we were trying to get in the more lesser known modern horror stuff and this one at the time was like kind of big but kind of not i mean it released in like april so it wasn't really one that i think a studio was confident about um well not so unconfident they did january but still early um and uh yeah so but i had no idea that's unfortunate that your first time watching it was more or less just like yeah um <laughs> i I, yeah. I you know i think the primary reason people like the movie is the editing and apart from the fact that i'm critical of the cinematography i'm sure the editing was easier because the cinematography is so bland it's almost like the reverse version of the Mad Max Fury Road uh, thesis, which is just make sure your focus is in the center. <laughs> this one is, if everything's bland, it doesn't matter what I cut to. It'll be okay. Um, but Dan, how did you feel about, um, this is going to be obviously major spoiler stuff now, but like that third act gets, uh, honestly, middling second act to the third act gets a very unreliable narrator. How did you interpret and feel about that stuff? As it continued. Uh, so interpreting. I think this is where people get lost with the movie, by the way. So whatever you land on kind of makes sense. Yeah. It's one of those things where like they start seeing things that aren't there. The mirrors playing tricks with them, making them perceive reality to not be what they think it is. Um, which is, you know, a very scary idea, of course. And it, it's very similar. To, and then simultaneously, of course, we're seeing um, the events of their past that we see parallel where they are. So there's the initial entering the house. And so it being the film, we see flashbacks to them like moving into the house and then, then the progression and we see like their dad and mom start get progressively weirder or whatever. And so by the end of the film, you're seeing something horrible happen in their past. And then you see that they also are facing some current present difficulty. So like it turns out their mom basically became feral and crazy. And so, um, this all is happening simultaneously every time that Karen Gillan like thinks she's killed her fiance. So um, very unfortunate set of circumstances. And then these things <laughs> what a start bummer, to right? very bummer, <laughs> very um, bummer. <laughs> I'm very put out. <laughs> and then you also see them kind of like walking in and out of frames. So like you'll see that like they'll, they'll see a flashback to when they're kids and like you'll see like baby Karen Gillan and then adult um, Brenton, you know, and that sort of thing. And that stuff's like really cool. And I really like visually, I thought it was really a great way to both like show how disoriented and confused the characters are. Uh, but also you really kind of share in their confusion and, and, and worry and, in, in in some ways where like, they don't know it's real. You don't know it's real. Um, 
because it's a horror movie and horror movies also prone to just purposefully like pull the rug out from underneath you. I was just kind of waiting for a moment where it's like, no, actually, yeah, you did kill your fiance or something, you know, or -hmm. something. But yeah, I think again, like I sort of looked at it as kind of this way that people get trapped in their past and their trauma where like they are just stuck in this moment where their lives completely fell apart. Um, They're lost their parents. And so now they're back and they feel like they need to defeat this thing. Um, but in doing so, they've just kind of trapped themselves. And I found that to be very sad. That's sort of, so like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't follow the rules. Like I didn't quite understand what the mirror could and could not do, which I, which I found to be kind of, which it made me hard for me to really feel a lot of tension because I wasn't clear on whether or not they were beating the mirror or not, because I was just like, I guess it can just do this. Like all I know it can do is it can suck things into it. Um, it can kill plants and it can destroy your electricity. That was really all I like, fully understood as far as what the mirror was capable of doing. And I guess his limitations are the house itself for some reason, but like, mm-hmm. I didn't really understand like how it could like create doppelgangers. Really? I guess there's a mirror world thing. I didn't understand how it could make them see things like there's a sequence where a character thinks they go outside, but they haven't, they're just in the room crying. So I guess it can make you go into madness I'm not sure how much you can interact with things when you're kind of losing your mind. So like, I don't know that stuff got muddled for me. I don't know if I just wasn't paying close some attention or something, but yeah, I think the movie needed more like first off the first 20 minutes could have been edited, but then like more scenes where they're maybe going out and about and doing other things like leaving the house and like interacting maybe with some other characters. Cause like the only characters they inter- really interact with apart from the family themselves is like, baby Karen Gillan goes to a neighbor and has them come over to like, tell them like, Hey, we need help. Um, and my wife is like, uh, all she needed to say is my dad has my wife chained up and he's got a gun and he's being abusive. Yeah. And, that was a little like, like, that was, like well, maybe your dad should call. It's just like, no, like it's a, well, that was obviously the mirror, but like when she goes to visit the neighbor and the neighbor comes over, it's like, there's some silly stuff where it's like, that could have been cut to first off, make the runtime not as long, but also like anybody in their right mind is like, if the girl just explained what was going on, the the guy would have been like, stay here. I'm calling the police. You're not going back. Like not yet. Cause like, you know, the sun's still there, but still, I think I agree with you that like the mirror doesn't have its particular things locked down. But I think if the film gave us more stuff outside maybe had like an external presence. Like if it went, if this was like by M night Shyamalan, actually, if this was by James Wan, it would have probably an external team that's like trying to understand the mirror. Maybe the person who bought the mirror knows it's paranormal. And so like, it's trying to like cabin in the woods it or something where they're trying to investigate, like as Karen Gillian is investigating the mirror and trying to prove that her family didn't kill each other and that the mirror caused it. It turns out there's another person filming and like put up cameras and is trying to figure things out. And I don't know, something like in reinforcing more in, in like, I don't know, just like it would help reinforce more ambiguity into the movie. Cause I think like that scene you described where she kills her fiance is good up until the music cue asserts that she actually did kill her uh, fiance. In my opinion, that's the scene where the music ruins it because Mm. I feel like the scene being so ambiguous was in theme with like, so they exit the house and then they see themselves standing in front of the mirror, which previously is asserted like the mirror can affect you and put you here. Uh, And we didn't mention this, but she has a trap where like, we have to keep turning on this thing that will, it's an anchor that's on the ceiling. And if it doesn't get turned, 
if a dial doesn't get turned, it will swing down and hit the mirror and it'll destroy it. So the mirror can't kill us because if it does, then this thing's going to break and do do whatever. Right, right. But then the mirror asserts in a scene where Karen Gillian wakes up in front of the mirror that like the mirror can manipulate someone to get in the way and effectively kill themselves. So like the mirror is saying one, wanting up in them and saying like, I'm fine. And then the kill with the fiance happens. And in my mind that went, the mirror is now just going to break down every plan she has, which she eats the apple, which is a light bulb, but it's actually an apple, which like in theory is interesting, but the scene is so classic horror that I'm like, just kind of rolling my eyes. It's the scene I remembered. It's the scene I don't like, but it's, it's hitting all the beats of like the mirror saying like, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. Like her dog theory may not even be true. Um, even though there's like the stuff she studied about like the other dogs dying, which props to the movie for making your protagonist willing to kill a dog. I, I, I think that's like, you know, she's not messing around. So. Yeah. It's a breath of fresh air. Um, the, the whole, the whole movie has a lot of things that are breath of fresh air while simultaneously making me frustrated. I am glad they didn't kill a dog on screen or anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes, me too. Um, well, in a way, I guess they kind of do, but like, I don't know. Um, it's like a past dog or something, but, um, yeah, it's like it, it's a movie begging to be edited differently and maybe even slight pre-production notes like adding in a couple things hey don't forget there's a lot of fun content missing from this episode because you're not listening on patreon head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support for three dollars a month to gain access to uncut episodes with upwards of 40 minutes of bonus content each you'll thank me later i did in my research as a podcaster, and by that I mean the two seconds before we started on IMDb's trivia, the top one is saying that since 2006, he had been pitching this project and people were, companies wanted him to make it into a found footage movie, but he was adamantly against the idea. And I can see where he could do that, but that would just, it sounds like that would just be what, um, uh, is it called? Pan, what's it called? It's the Paranormal Investigators one. Oh, and they're in like a- Paranormal Activity? No, it's not paranormal activity. It's it's um, it's a go- ghost encounters. Have you seen that? It's kind of a, no. a found footage. It it's kind of that movie has Oculus vibes, where like the found footage style is jumping through time and like the space is expanding, very House of Leaves esque. And it sounds like this could have done that, but he really did not want to. But all that to say is that means he was shopping it around and people were giving him ideas and helping him refine. And it just seems like some stuff just got through. I don't know, but it is only his like fifth project and like within like seven years of starting. So it's very early, but yeah, it's, I I don't know. I, I like the stuff at the end with the unreliable narrator stuff, but I think it doesn't pay off well because early there's a line about like, what about the other people in our house we saw as children? So like talking about ghosts in the area and the film kind of makes you think that based on how the paranormal events are happening as adults and kids that they're crossing over. And so the, the other people in the house they would have seen as kids would have been themselves. But then in a later scene, the mirror just makes everybody it's killed appear as ghosts Um, in a scene that I actually like when it turns out the alarm goes off for some reason that scene gave me chills. It was really good. But like, I I wanted the movie to also be more clever than it was. And then it just ends up not doing that too. I don't know if like, if our experience was the same in disappointment or if we were just disappointed about different things, but like 
that was something to me that was frustrating. Like I really thought the film by being a mirror and having all that aesthetic going on would have been a clever kind of mind effing kind of thing where it's like the, the, the people you saw was yourselves and only you as an adult would know your yourself as a kid, but yourself as a kid would never know you as an adult. Cause they kind of have that with one of the editing tricks where the brother walks in on his younger self in the bedroom. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. The editing is strange, but one of its pluses, but also one of its negatives. I don't know. It's, this movie's irritating. <laughs> this podcast episode is just making me frustrated now, actually, that I'm. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I, I really like Mike Flanagan a lot. I really like a lot of his stuff. You know, I, the, the stuff in this movie I like, and I don't think it's bad. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a bad movie or anything. It just. Yeah, by no means. Know. I feel like I, I wish I had more to say about it. Like I'm not nearly as frustrated about it as, as you are. Obviously, like I just found it to be not until now. I only started getting frustrated the more we talked about it. <laughs> well, like you know, I, I put it on. It was you know, it's it, it was <laughs> it, it played on the it's television. It's a movie I watched, and I can no, but like uh, put it on I, IMDb. I, I thought it was a perfectly pleasant, like um, enjoyable for what it is, kind of like spooky movie uh, experience. Um, it was, I think it's a solid horror film for, for the type of story it's telling. And, um, we were getting into, into that season of, uh, part of the year. So like it helped <laughs> me get me into the Halloween yeah. spirit. And so, uh, it's hard for me to feel like anything overtly, like really negative towards it. It's just, it didn't, it also didn't like really like push all my buttons, I suppose. And that's fine. Yes, Not every movie yeah, is going to do that. Totally fine. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of those movies where, like, there's nothing about it that really incurs any sort of, like, strong negative feelings in me towards it um, at all. Because, you know, I I didn't find it to be as visually as ugly as you did. I didn't find it to be as poorly paced as you uh, found it to be. I was totally kind of okay with those things. Yeah, it's just, it's it's tough to get excited about in any way, too, though. So, yes. I don't really find yes. myself compelled to tell people to check it out because it's a hidden gem. I think people will just check it out because it's one of his films. And so yeah, like if you really his enjoy movies. his other stuff, you're going to check it out. And I think, you know, plenty of people will enjoy it or just kind of have kind of no, not much reaction to it. I will say this movie did come out during a period of time where we were seeing more and more of these types of horror films where the emphasis was on the buildup and creating suspense. Um, and then with, instead of having scenes of like gore or like having someone with an ax jump out and stab somebody. And so I think also like it just came out at a really good time for this type of movie yes. where I think it's partially why it's so well received. And in hindsight, some other people might not like it as much because they might just be burned out on that sort of thing. Here's one last question then, I guess, before we get into recommendations, this movie has a very negative perspective. If we look at it thematically and how it wants to handle its tone uh, on mental health, and not necessarily in the sense that it is trying to decry like only if you if you ever have trauma by of this degree you will never get out of it because the film ostensibly demand ar- argues that Brenton recover Brenton Brenton Tim the character yeah Brenton Thwaites that his character is recovered and then the doctor like encourages him to be careful like you know your recovery is more important than like. <laughs> whatever crazy stunt your sister's got going on. Um, And then the movie happens and disaster strikes and he essentially regresses and he's technically right because the mirror did do all of it. But like, it's still like it was there dramatically. It was there that like 
yeah, there's a point when he needs to leave. And like, he even thinks that right when the mirror proves that it is what it is and they uh, don't remember moving certain things around and then the recordings show it, he knows to get out and then he doesn't and then he's stuck. And so there's almost this implication that like you might recover, but if you get back in, you'll never get back out again. Um, or you'll might cause disaster again, which functionally is there's a part of which that's true, where like your old habits are very easy to start up. What what would it be? What have, what would have been best for him is for him not to go back to the house and everything. I oh, think facts. Yeah, yeah facts. I think so. I don't think that's bad advice. Like to be like you have to like. I agree. Be careful with yourself. You you can't. You really shouldn't put yourself back in those situations that cause this issue in the first place. Obviously, the doctors are not giving this advice with the context that a haunted mirror is <laughs> exists and also yes, is at the yes. center of this situation. Turns so, out he was a ghostbuster and he was telling him about some paranormal yeah, stuff he read I mean, in a book. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? He might've given different advice with that context. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't think the movie is, I, I didn't get the impression he was saying that like people are just stuck. I think it's that it's a, almost like a cautionary tale of how one could end up there. You know? So I agree. I think, my question's more not that um, not that this movie did it. I think it has a light negative perspective in terms of like its display and where it goes and what it becomes. Um, but it is because of the beginning is like recovery is possible. Just be careful. And then the movie happens because it's a movie. Um, but there is an uptick, I feel like, of movies in the last several years like 2013 onward, I guess I could say, where like there's just this focus on mental health for paranormal stuff, which I get, I don't know, maybe I'm a baby. Maybe stuff like this has always been around. But like to this degree where mental health is so overtly in it, I mean, even the doctor in the beginning doesn't wear like a normal outfit. He literally just has a lab coat that says like mental health hospital written on it. It's like kind of silly. I just want to kind of gauge your thoughts on more movies doing this? I don't know. Because sometimes I, I think like it's a little tasteless I uh, to, to kind yeah. of take the, the big buzzwordy thing right now and, and personify it. It's not the ex- exact situation of an exploitation movie where like it's something that could have happened in the last like two months. And then like just to not to be offensive, but it would be like exploitation tier would be like George Floyd died three months later a documentary comes out about it or like a recreation movie that would be total exploitation. And that's stuff that's happened. Like scary of 61st, I think is like a movie recently. That's like the most popular known exploitation movie. Um, but like, I don't know. I feel like mental health kind of has stuff like that right now um, going on. Um, so I think so. The, yeah. Horror movies have always paralleled real anxieties and fears. And I think, mm-hmm as people's awareness of mental illness and just the the lifting of the taboo on talking about it takes place. Like people are going to like, you're just going to see these themes pop up more and more in not just horror films, but just in, in media movies. And, and movies and stuff in general. Yeah. Um, so like that, I'm not really surprised by that or, and I think it like, it's tough because people don't necessarily go to horror films for tasteful handling of subject matter. And it's, <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. necessarily like if you're looking for a good, like in-depth kind of analysis of mental illness than like going to the horror section on Netflix might not be the best way to go about it. I mean, but that's not, that's not an excuse. Like there's plenty of horror films that handle subject matter and, and, and these ways that I feel like if not at least tasteful is like utilizes the medium of horror to explore those themes in an interesting way. Like obviously like hereditary 
uh, comes to mind immediately. Like I think the Baba Duke does that in, in some ways. Like, or even our last episode, Black Coat's Daughter, about loneliness and stuff. Like, yeah, I yeah. Can't yeah. say like I'm frustrated about mental health exploration and horror, but then be absolutely in love with that movie. Yeah, so. I think I think the the two sort of like there's dual pitfalls here. There's the, a the fact that people don't necessarily fully understand mental illness, and yes. b that mental illness tends to touch upon things that people just find like in, innately terrifying. Um, not being in control of your mind, not n- not being able to perceive reality correctly. Um, just like the fact that like, you know, you could like, because people with mental illness, they he- hear and see things that aren't there or their perception of reality is so skewed that they can't handle situations properly. And so I think it's easy to kind of delve more into the like salacious side of that where you have, you go into like complete absurd territory or something like split um, presents like <laughs> DID the way it does, which that movie is what it is. And so like when you pair that with people's lack of understanding of actual mental health, like issues or even what these diagnoses mean, um, I think that you get a recipe for uh, mishandling. And I don't always think it's mean spirited or intentional. I think, I do think there's something you said for someone just adding in some mental health stuff to for spice or something. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Conversely, I love movie asylum settings. I know it's tasteless, but like I think it's extremely exciting and fun to explore, even though it's yeah, yeah, it's totally fake. If you're not engaging it like a fun house, like a like that kind of thing, then it's like a little silly. Yeah, and I lo- I specifically love the Arkham Asylum setting. Like I I think but like that has a proper context in a fantastical comic book world <laughs> yes, where yeah. it's the place we put Mr. Freeze and the scarecrow when they're not on the <laughs> yeah, street. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. That, All people that, who were born because Batman exists. <laughs> yeah. That's it, so that, that makes it then like other DC. And we've villains, got a room for you too, Batman. Uh, so like that's where Dr. Destiny is, you know, to be in the Sandman, you know, um, I, I don't want to say things are off limits for movies and especially horror films, which are supposed to kind of be, horrific in nature and disturbing Um, but i do think that our media plays such a huge role in people's perception of topics and Mm -hmm. things that like Mm -hmm. there are people whose understanding of certain mental illnesses are from dear evan movies and then by extension now tiktok is apparently a big player in how people understand psychology and mental health which is just terrifying and terrible that, that people are learning things from social media Did you know Cinematic Doctrine has a blog? Visit cinematicdoctrine.com to read extended thoughts on movies or movie industry news from our contributors. Plus, you can find our podcast on there, too. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty okay movie. Um, I like Mike Flanagan, so you like Mike Flanagan, you might like this movie. It's an eternal Hulu movie at this point. It'll be on there forever. Yeah. So you might as well check it out. You can definitely do worse for horror movies that are just on streaming (laughs) absolutely yeah this is this is good it's a i think it's pretty like i think my if you try to (laughs) condense what i've said this whole episode into like a perspective it's pretty complicated but like i i think the movie's okay i think it's 
good. I liked it more than my wife. So that there's that, I guess. Um, and it's got a lot of stuff to enjoy, but I think it's benefited if you know how movies work because you'll be able to look past the problems, um, which for me were a lot stronger than for Daniel. So yeah, I suppose that's, that's that. How, how do you, uh, what do you have for um, recommendations this, uh, this week? So yeah, for a spiritual Christian recommendation, I don't know if I recommend this before, um, but you know, I, I recommend a lot of big hoity-toity theology books or whatever, what have you. Uh, this week, I'm going to recommend a devotional of all things. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I recommend this before, but I've recently started, I've used this before, but I've started rereading it. So it's back in my mind. Uh, I have the second edition of this. It's called Amazing Grace, 366 Inspiring Hymn Stories for Daily Devotions. Uh, there's so many devotionals out there. There's like Bible and year plans. Um, so I, I think it's good to have a Bible a year plan for your daily devotional time. But also uh, for if you do devotions twice a day or you're looking for supplemental, um, each day of the uh, month, it has a some scriptures to read, obviously, but it also has a specific hymn it highlights and it gives the backstory of how that person wrote the hymn, what inspired them to write that hymn. Um, so it's, uh, I like get a little, little church history there, a little context for hymns and why they're written. Uh, as there's often a lot that goes into that, there's whole theology debates that people were partaking in by writing hymns. Some people there, the hymns were deeply personal or it really reflects on a particular moment in Christian history. Yeah. Um, it's just really interesting. And I know like I'm someone who particularly finds church history and stuff like that. Interesting. So, but uh, this is quite a popular devotional and devotionals tend to go in waves. Like there tends to be a period where everyone's reading come away, my beloved, or everyone's reading streams in the desert. And so this apparently had a moment where it was kind of a big uh, devotional that everyone was picking up. Uh, but I think that moment has passed. So I'm just trying to bring it back. Um, amazing grace. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's uh, it's, and there's also a similar ish devotional to this. That's um, that has a similar premise, but I haven't read that one. So I'm kind of giving a broad recommendation, but it's a, uh, I have really enjoyed getting like collector's editions of stuff lately. And since we're going into spooky season, like official with October, I'm just recommending <laughs> broadly. Um, scream factory releases (laughs) that i just i find them uh the the amount of effort these people go into making good transfers i've heard some are not so good but very few um but making into making good transfers of either classic movies or kind of like cult yeah culty kind of movies is something to appreciate the amount of collector's edition stuff like commentaries sometimes they do new commentaries uh, featurettes um they'll even do like scans of like old advertisements and posters that i've really enjoyed foreign posters as well um on these collector's editions that you can go through um they're really really cool um and i've uh, even pre-ordering benefits you so watching what they release over the year is pretty good we actually just pre-ordered the upcoming Evil Dead 2013 release as well as their Army of Darkness release so yeah I don't know just go just go check out their website it's um, it's going to be in the show notes so you can kind of scroll through their catalog They Scream Factory is Shout Factory Scream is just specifically for their horror stuff and Shout Factory will do other classics as well um so yeah definitely definitely give them a look i guess as like a subscript not in the not in the show notes but like other ones are like arrow or criterion which we talked about criterion a lot with the stalker and 
Seven Seal episode. So you know that uh, these things are not just worthwhile, but giving us plenty of content for talking about um, on the podcast. So yeah, check out Scream and Shout Factory releases. Check it out in the show notes, my dudes. What kind of fun recommendation then do you have, uh, Dan, to close us out? Uh, I mentioned that I saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent on a plane, and I thought that movie was really charming and funny. And uh, it's one of those movies that's like, it's not like the best movie you've ever seen in your life or anything, but it really is like the novelty factor does sustain the experience of watching it where you can see Nick Cage play himself. And uh, uh, Pas- uh, Pedro Pascal is just really uh, wonderful in it. He's really good. Uh, so if that's one of the ones that you're like, oh, that seems kind of funny. And you just you keep scrolling by it when going through Hulu or whatever. I recommend checking that out. But if not, I'll just mention Great British Bake Off. They started putting the new season <laughs> on Netflix. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.